This is how you can get, I wouldn't even say adequate, I would say outstanding healthcare as a freelancer, whether you decide to live in the United States or whether you travel the world. Welcome to the Live, Work, Travel podcast. I'm your host, Michonne Thomas, a former middle school teacher who quit at 30 to become a six-figure freelancer and digital nomad instead. You're in the right place if you're ready to learn how freelancing can help you to work from anywhere, make great money, and live a life that you design. I'm sharing everything I've learned to get to where I am today in order to support you on your journey, because this lifestyle is simply too good not to share. when I talk to people about freelancing and getting into it, there's two questions that come up quite a bit and I totally get it. What are you going to do about retirement and how do you afford healthcare? These are legit questions, especially for people who may be a bit older, you know, in their later 20s or 30s or even 40s or above and have a family to consider as well. I recognize the fact that I am single And I have been blessed to be in mostly good health the majority of my life. So I don't have necessarily that family aspect to think about. And when I do think about retirement, I am saving for one, you know, not for an entire family. And I recognize that that can be a huge blocker to someone getting into freelancing. For me, it was more the healthcare block of like, how am I going to pay for this at the time, you know, that I was living in the States? But fortunately, both of those things can absolutely be solved through freelancing. So let's get into it. The simple answer is to just make more money. And I know that sounds crazy, but when I was a teacher, I had maybe contributed to my retirement for a year or two. Honestly, I just wasn't making that much money. The thing that's helped me to put money into my retirement and also to pay for healthcare is being able to just make more money with freelancing than I ever was before. You know, I have at least doubled my teaching salary ever since the beginning, ever since that first year of freelancing. And often it is triple or higher. Okay. So just by the sheer fact of having a lot more money, I'm able to then take care of all the things that I need to live while also contributing to my retirement and putting aside money for healthcare. Let's talk about retirement first. When I was teaching, I barely had enough to kind of like just make ends meet, you know, everything piled up. The mortgage, the car insurance payments, the car, get, you know, gas, maintenance, groceries, all the things that you have to do to live a life in the United States where I was living at the time. There just wasn't much left over after a teacher salary. So I didn't even start saving for the first few years. And you know, I'm 20 something. I started teaching at 22, I believe. So maybe around 25, 26. I thought, okay, what the hell? I got to learn how to do something. This guy came in, he did a presentation. I didn't really understand what's going on. (laughs) I've never liked math or money or anything around that. So I just talked to one of my other friends who was like, yeah, it was really easy. He said, you just set this up and then they can take $150 from your check every two weeks and you don't even notice it. It's just gone. Now, when you're making less money, you do notice $150 gone every paycheck. That's $150 every two weeks. That's $300 a month. You notice. But that was the only way that I was able to consistently put money in. I just set it up. And to be honest with you guys, I didn't know how to turn it off. (laughs) So that's why I never stopped, you know, because money would get tight and you'd think, oh God, if I could just have that $300, but it was like, I got to talk to a person and do some forms and figure out who I even need to. Yeah, no, it's just, I'm stuck. I'm contributing to my retirement, whether I like it or not. Now, of course, I'm glad I did. 
because that money did accrue over the years. It's still in the account I rolled it over into after I left teaching. And it just sits there and it grows. And I'm very happy that I got started. But the amount that I have put into retirement and the amount that it has been able to be invested and grow since then is just astronomically different from that number that I first put in when I was teaching. You know, like the amount I've saved since teaching, the amount I've made in recent years and saved away, it's not even comparable. So freelancing allowed me to make enough money to actually then save a lot more for retirement. I think in about, I'd say in the last probably four years of freelancing, I have, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I've probably surpassed everyone I know in terms of retirement saving, like talking about people I grew up with or people who are in a traditional nine to five, like from, you know, back home or what have you in just a couple of years, not because I've invested it terribly well or anything like that. I just have made it. And as a single person who has one suitcase worth of belongings, you know, if I'm not spending it on food or travel or the business, it goes into my retirement. Now there's a whole other thing of like, I just love my work. I probably will never retire fully because I'll always be tinkering with different businesses and business ideas and growing things. But that's how my retirement has changed since freelancing, you know, dramatically for the better, simply by having the funds to put in. So how do I actually do it? Well, this is for people who live in the United States. If you live somewhere else, I would encourage you to check and see if there are other programs out there. I will be 100% honest. I hate the idea of investing and numbers and mutual funds and stocks and bonds. To me, it feels like putting money in air. <laughs> like my brain just kind of can't wrap around it, but it's what you do, right? So I have friends who follow the stock market carefully and they pay attention to the news and they buy things when they're supposed to and then they try to sell them when they're supposed to and they constantly play this game, right, of trying to invest, buy low and sell high. I don't have the words to describe how bad I would be at that, probably for the simple fact of buying something one day, forgetting about it and remembering 20 years later that I own this stock or whatever, right? So that was another thing that stopped me for a long time from like investing in retirement because, you know, my dad would throw around these names like mutual funds and different things. And I was just like, oh gosh, it just sounds, you know, all my finance classes in school hated just not that thing, right? Another weakness of like, I don't like this. I don't even want to understand it. Let me find somebody else who does. So a friend told me about this company called Wealthfront, wealthfront.com. I will link it in the show notes. They are a robo investor. You open an account and you can set your risk level from, you know, like zero to nine or something. And they just invest your money in a mixture of all of these stocks and stuff. You know, if you put your risk level at zero, they will invest conservatively. If you put your level at nine, they will invest, you know, a lot heavier or a lot more risky stuff. They'll try to, you know, get you your highest rate of return. But yeah, you don't have to think about it. And I know that everyone's different, right? There's some people who can't imagine not thinking about your money because your money is the most important thing. Or like for me, I just want it to sort of do its thing on autopilot. So I have been using Wealthfront for years. There's probably a couple other companies that do a similar thing, but they have the same types of accounts that you would set up in a traditional employment situation, you can open a 401k. They have Roth IRAs. They have the traditional IRA. They have an SEP, which is a self-employment, but I don't know, go look that up, Google it. But it's like a 401k for self-employed people. They have a personal investment accounts as well. 
So not to get heavily into, because my plan is pretty simple. I have certain accounts that I can't touch until I'm retirement age, which is great because I put money into those and I know that that's saving up for later. And then I have some personal accounts, investment accounts that I can touch. So I put money in those so it can grow but I also know that I can access it if I need it for something big. It is so easy, you guys. And here's how you know, because I'm extremely lazy when it comes to doing stuff that I don't like and don't want to do. And I've done this, you know, I set this up years ago and it just runs on autopilot. When I get paid, I take that amount that I'm paid, I pop it into a Google Sheets sheet that already has the percentages calculated that like, let's say I get a thousand dollar invoice from a client. I just put the number a thousand into my spreadsheet and it tells me by percentage, put this amount in this bucket, put this amount in this bucket, put this amount in this bucket, the end. That's how I do my retirement. And like I said, it's grown to far more than it would have if I had still been teaching for the last six years. So there are ways to save Biggest one being, as a freelancer, you're in control of how much you make. So switching over to healthcare, talking about healthcare. My biggest tip on healthcare is the most unreasonable, and I do recognize that. So I'm sorry, but I'm just going to give it anyway. If at all you can get out of the United States, do so. (laughs) Because when you travel the world, you realize just how messed up the healthcare system is in the United States, and you don't really want to go back to it. I know that's not very helpful. So if you are in the United States and you have to stay there, you want to stay there, all good. Here are some things that you can do. One, again, just like before, you're making more money so you can afford to pay healthcare out of pocket. I know it doesn't seem like that maybe. Let's say you're in a W-2 job right now. You know that your employer is paying the bulk of your healthcare And maybe you looked up some quotes. You're like, maybe I want to go out on my own. And you just see that it's going to cost you on your own, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month just for you. Or if you have a family, even more, maybe a thousand dollars a month. I don't know. I've actually been gone for a while, but let's say it's going to cost you eight hundred dollars a month just for healthcare. Absolutely insane. But there's also the potential of if you're making fifteen thousand a month, is it possible? It is. If you're making 10 grand a month, because you can make more with freelancing, you can afford to spend more and pay for your own healthcare out of pocket. Still sucks, and I wouldn't recommend doing it, but that's an option. Another thing you can do, what I did when I was in the States is I had, and again, I'm speaking from a place of being blessed to have had really good health. I had a just-in-case policy. Basically, I paid just a couple hundred bucks a month. The insurance was so bad that I would have had to be like bones sticking out and be spurting blood before I would go to the doctor because it was going to cost me so much. And I think that that's what's really fucked up, honestly. People in the United States get used to not going to the doctor or the clinic or whatever because we just know it's going to cost an astronomical amount. So we sort of self-medicate on some of these things or we don't catch things early because we're just so used to not going. I remember when I first started teaching, a little bit of a side tangent, but they said to us point blank in the orientation class, like, do not under any circumstances call an ambulance unless you're 100% certain you're dying. (laughs) And I just remember thinking like, Yeah, like, so you either have to hope that you would have died to call the ambulance and then they save you so you didn't die. 
But if you thought you were dying, but you really weren't, and it wasn't kind of worth it, and the ambulance comes and gets you, and they kind of determine that it wasn't life-threatening enough, now you lived, yay, but you're stuck with this massive bill. Like, what kind of a messed up world are we living in? So anyway, yeah, I had this very, very basic plan, and luckily nothing ever happened to me in that year that I had it before I left the United States, because if something serious had happened, I would have had to pay quite a bit for my medical care. However, the thing is, if you have something that you need done, you can leave the United States to have it done. There is a growing, fast-growing trend of medical tourism, which is going to other countries with great healthcare systems as well, and much lower cost in having your medical things taken care of there. If it's something that you're scheduling in advance, right? Obviously not the ambulance, medical emergency type of scenario. But one thing that I never saw while I was inside the system was that some things in the US are actually a lot more affordable than they seem. We're just kind of blinded to it by this oh my gosh, healthcare is so expensive. Like you couldn't possibly not have a job. You couldn't possibly not have benefits. Otherwise you'd be stuck doing it on your own. So healthcare itself can be for sure. But dental and vision, and again, you always have to weigh these things between the kind of the average and what specific concerns you may have about your own healthcare, your own situation. I've never had braces and never had any major issues With my teeth, I've only ever had my wisdom teeth out when I was like 16 years old. So all I need at the dentist is a teeth cleaning a couple times a year. I remember the first year that I was on my own with no benefits, I found, I don't know if they still use these. Again, I've been gone from the States for a while, but there's a thing called a Groupon where it was like a coupon for a company. Like these companies would set up these deals to drive more people in to their business, what have you. But anyway, I found one of those for a dentist. It was 40 bucks for a tooth cleaning. I could do that, you know, out of pocket, just walk in, pay, do the whole thing and then leave. And it was just fine. <laughs> you know, so $40 twice a year. 80 bucks. Now, again, you have to weigh the pros and cons. You could say, oh, yeah, but like, what if you get into an accident and get your tooth knocked out or something? Like, you know, one of my brothers did. He was playing basketball and somebody caught an elbow in the mouth and like chipped his front tooth and had to have that all fixed and everything. I don't play basketball ever. So, (laughs) you know, that wasn't a concern for me, but you do go through the scenarios and you're like weighing the pros and cons of, okay, you know, I've lived this far of my life without anything major happening, do I feel like I could you know, continue that on? Everyone has to do what's right for them, right? So vision as well. I started to notice once I was no longer on my employer's benefits plan that you'd find tons of eye doctors and places that would have the sign in the window, you know, eye exam plus glasses fitting for on sale for, I don't know, 50 bucks or whatever it is. They get you on the glasses, right? And the contact lenses. So I started to pay attention and sure enough, didn't know this before because it's always like, you know, you get the benefits packets from your employer. You go through miles of trying to sift out what's covered and what's not covered and all that. But it turns out if you just go in and pay, it's actually not terribly bad. I would pay out of pocket for my glasses, contacts. Usually every year I'd get contacts, replace my glasses only every five years or something, whenever I felt like I needed it because I hardly ever wear my glasses. And that too, you can find, it depends on what your priorities are. You can find really cheap glasses that do the trick. I am currently traveling with two pairs of glasses. I always have a backup pair, which is weird because I'd never even wear my glasses, let alone the backup pair. But anyway, I bought these. Oh man, I was in the States. So it's been a good five years, but I bought these at some glasses place that was running like some special of like $39 for two pairs of glasses. 
Like, what? Get out. Covered, sold, done. I paid for, I think, the eye exam and then the fitting or whatever, and then I got the glasses. Now, these are cheap plastic glasses. They don't have a famous brand on the side. I don't give a shit. They help me to see what I need to see. And so I got those and I've been doing that ever since. I mean, I haven't replaced those, but when I do, it'll be another, where can I get a you know cheap special and replace those? So paying out of pocket is definitely doable. When I'm in other countries, same thing. I uh, just recently bought contact lenses before I left Ecuador because I've been based there during the pandemic already. I knew the place in the mall that does eye exams and glasses and all that. So I just called in my prescription, talked to them before, you know, and they ordered me a new set of another six months worth of lenses or what have you. But it's very standard and it's very reasonable. I think in Ecuador, it was about $150 for the fitting, the eye exam, the everything, the ordering the lenses. Yeah, all done. So Getting your dental stuff taken care of and your glasses, your vision stuff taken care of, if you've got pretty basic needs, it is completely doable. Healthcare for more extensive needs or medical tourism type things, you can go to other countries and pay out of pocket. And in some cases, this is mind-blowing, you can go to other countries, pay out of pocket, receive better care, and you're still spending less than you would have just covering whatever's left over after your insurance is like, yeah, we did this, but you're stuck with the rest of it. And there's a lot of misconceptions about traveling to other countries. You know, some people think that they wouldn't get good care in other countries. And I mean, of course it depends, but there are world-renowned hospitals outside of the United States. And I think that sometimes a trap that people can fall into is looking at their own country and going like, oh, we have the best of everything. And the more you travel, you just kind of see that, eh, No country has the best of everything. Lots of countries have lots of great things about them, but there's no reason to just like lock in and dial in and just be like, we're the best at everything. There's no possible way that any country or any person is the best at everything. So I want to tell you about a time when I had a medical thing come up in Colombia. And again, I have had really been blessed my whole life to have really good health, not issues with broken bones and different things like that. Usually nothing comes up, but because of growing up in my household, my family is very much just like, put some ice on it, put some ice on it, you know, or put an ace bandage on it. That'll sort out everything, right? So I didn't grow up going to hospital or the clinic or anything. And so my typical reaction to something is to just sort of put some ice on it or take a Tylenol or put a a bandage on something and it'll all work itself out. So I'm living in Medellin, Colombia, and all of a sudden one day my elbow just starts to feel numb and then it starts to feel extremely painful. And I remember I had been at a language exchange meetup and it just started to feel a little weird as I was sitting there as it was resting on the armrest. Went home, just kept getting worse and worse to the point where I couldn't move it anymore. It was just like shooting pain. And I remember laughing at something and that just like just shot pain all throughout my arm, elbow. And I was like, okay, this is not good. Not really sure what I'm going to do yet, but this is not good. (laughs) And I was basically just walking around holding my arm at a right angle, you know, as if I had a sling on, but without a sling, just making sure to not move it as much as possible. And yeah, thinking to myself, it'll sort itself out, right? Because I'm in the US mindset of it's going to cost so freaking much to go to the doctor, I might as well just grin and bear it. So I had, at that time, a friend coming to visit in a couple days. And if that wasn't the case, I probably would have stuck it out for a few more days, just trying to see if it would blow over. But because I had a friend coming into town, I thought, I'm useless like this. This is not going to be fun. We're not going to be able to go and tourist and do stuff if I am in pain like this to where 
movement, any jostling, any laughing, any whatever. So I thought, oh God, I'm going to go to the clinic and I'm just going to see how much this is going to set me back. Like, holy crap, this is going to be brutal. Because in the US, it was just unthinkable to go to the doctor without insurance. So I go to the clinic and they need my credit card and they put a hold of $300 on the card. And what they do, how the system was, was they you put a hold of that. If it's over that, of course you pay more, but if it's under that, you know, they give you your money back afterward. And so I started to think to myself, and you know, I hadn't been in Colombia for very long. My Spanish was not very good. I'd probably been there for about a month and a half. You know, I'm still not sure where, how things work and, and not good enough Spanish, what have you. But anyway, so they, they do that. And I think, wow, $300, like that would be a steal. If I got out of here for under $300, like that would be cool. So yeah, just crossed fingers. I hope that's, hope that's good. And so they take me back and I see the doctor. And I'm telling you guys, it was the best experience I've had with a doctor in my entire life because he actually looked at me. He spoke to me. He asked me questions. He gave a shit. <laughs> he really like, he laughed and joked with me and it was just really nice and really tried to figure out what was going on. And like, I just felt seen in a way that I've never felt seen with a medical professional in the United States. There, I feel like I'm a hassle to them for showing up with a problem. And they're, you know, tired and rushed. It's not a pleasant experience every time I've been to a doctor in the United States. This doctor laughing and joking. And I mean, we were not in a fancy place. There were, you know, just beds with curtains pulled between them and like thin curtains. And, you know, it was not a fancy facility, but he figured out what was going on. I mean, he laughed and he was just like, you know, were you drinking? Did you fall down? (laughs) What's going on here? You know, maybe I'm caring too much or something. We don't know how it happened. But anyway, he could feel and diagnose that it was an inflamed tendon in my elbow. He asked me about the pain scale. And when I said it's pretty high, he ended up putting me on two IV drips, one for the pain and one for the swelling and inflammation. So I was on the one for a while, just kind of laid back in the bed, having that all go through, and then put the other one in. That was to help take the inflammation swelling down. He then prescribed me some pills to pick up at the pharmacy on the way out. Now, as I was laying there, and I've never had IVs in my life before, so I'm laying there and I'm going, oh my God, this is going to be expensive. This is going to be so expensive. And I mean, it's taken the pain away, but I'm in a whole other kind of mental pain of just like, this is going to cost so much. I am so screwed. So I couldn't even really enjoy the drugs, you know? But anyway, get done with that. I thank him. And then this is just like the greatest thing. He tells me it was a Tuesday because he's like, go home. You should be feeling better by now. Make sure to take the medicine you pick up at the pharmacy. But if for any reason you're not feeling better tomorrow, and still not feeling better on Thursday. I'm in on Thursday. Come back. Tell them that you're my patient and I told you to come back for a checkup. That way they won't charge you the office fee or whatever for coming back again. You can just come right back and see me and we'll sort you out then. His name is Mauricio. <laughs> I'll never forget that because it was just like, what? Since when do doctors like try to save you money? <laughs> right? But he was so nice and so kind. It was just a wonderful experience. But I'm heading to the pharmacy, you know, I pick up my pills and go to the checkout again, right? I'm ready to just get reamed. I'm ready to just get it. I'm like, I've had two IVs. I've been here for all this time. I'm picking up pills to, oh my gosh, this is just going to be astronomical. It was $42 and change. 42 US dollars and change. I was stunned. I still remember walking out 
and going up to a cafe that was like right by the clinic, getting a cup of coffee and sitting there and just staring in shock. Like all of the nerves calming down of just like all this adrenaline of like, I am so fucked. I'm going to have to pay so much money. And then it was $42, less than filling up your gas tank in the US. I was speechless. Also to receive the nicest care that I've ever had. (laughs) Have it feel like someone genuinely wanted to help me get better. And he did. I was right as rain the next day. I was feeling good. The drugs were working. I didn't have to go back to him on the Thursday. And I never had another problem ever again after that next day. But it totally changed how I thought about the whole experience of healthcare versus what I'd grown up experiencing. This is why a growing number of people, including myself and other people that I know, are opting to have you know, planned surgeries in other countries. They have IEDs replaced. They have laser eye surgery done. They have dental work done in other countries, simply planning ahead, figuring out the details, scheduling the procedure and going down and having it done somewhere where they receive great care and at a fraction of the price that they would be charged in the United States. You know, my friends and I definitely do it. We plan it around our travel schedules. I need to get this done. So A, I'm going to have it done here in this country that I've already been living in and I know, or I'm going to this other country where I've heard it's better, it's safer, it's this, that, or the other. I'll plan to get it done while I'm there. This is how you can get, I wouldn't even say adequate, I would say outstanding healthcare as a freelancer, whether you decide to live in the United States or whether you travel the world. I totally got a bit rambly in this episode, but I still hope that it was helpful, that it has opened your eyes to the possibilities when it comes to retirement and also healthcare as a freelancer. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can get a hold of me at hello at liveworktravel.com if you'd like to send me an email about anything in this episode or anything really at all. Or you can follow along on Instagram at liveworktravelig. I'll be back next Monday.